just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Speaking of Influence, the podcast for speakers and professionals or anyone who wants to present with impact. Hosted by presentation persuasion coach John Ball. Remember to like and subscribe. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, there couldn't be an easier way to get started than getting started with Buzzsprout. They have all the tools and resources you need for starting a podcast and getting it out to all the major podcasting networks. Check out the link in the show notes and get your podcast started today. Welcome to the show. I am very happy today to be joined by a special guest, someone who I've really enjoyed chatting to before even getting to the recording. And I know that we're going to have some fun on this show today. She is a speaker. She is an actor. She is a comedian. She is many things. And she's also a congenital anosmic. And if you want to know what that is, did I get it right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so if you want to know what that is, stay tuned because uh, it was an education for me as well. Please welcome to the show, Dear Klein. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I love that you said it right. Oh my gosh. I trained you well. Yeah, I, I feel like I've grown in your very presence. <laughs> So <laughs> that sounded really bad. Uh, so, <laughs> it's all good. We'll just we'll just skip over it. Yeah, yeah, we'll skip over that. <laughs> but, but welcome to the show. Uh, we had we had a really fun conversation preparing and planning for recording an episode together. So I've been very much looking forward to getting to speak to you. And one of the reasons for that is because we we also have quite a lot in common. Like we're both very active in our Toastmasters groups, right? So absolutely, yes, Toastmasters, and and so that's always great to connect with Toastmasters from around the world and people who have developed themselves and their speaker training or their, their speaker careers through the Toastmasters organization. So, so let's, start, let's start there. Let's start with uh, Toastmasters because I think you went into Toastmasters for very similar reasons to myself, which, which were? My reasons were to go in and practice who I am, practice speaking, and learn how to develop my voice. I wanted to hear how other people took me in. I wanted to improve on how I did what I did, how to advance in my speaking skills, and get feedback, which is so important. Yeah, that's that's very important. Uh, I I just wanted to learn how to make toast and realized that it was all about public speaking instead, but I stuck with it anyway. 
I'm still waiting for the marmalade. <laughs> yeah, I know. The, the service there is terrible. But, uh, it's horrible. <laughs> if you're waiting for food. But no, for, similarly to you, I wanted to, I, I recognized that my public speaker muscles were atrophied and I really needed to start flexing them again and getting back into the habit because I love doing public speaking. And I did a lot when I was in the UK, but since having come to Spain, I did a lot less. And so joining Toastmasters got me back into it and for me reignited my passion for, for public speaking again to a point where I've, I've started focusing a lot of my work now on that and, and of course doing a podcast that's all about presentation skills, public speaking and related areas as well, which is why we're here now talking. But for, for you, it's, it's led you to, uh, to some interesting places as well, right? Yes, absolutely. So one of my goals when I joined Toastmasters that I found out once I joined Toastmasters, I found out this was a goal, is they have competitions. Mm. I had no idea. And for me to say the word competition and public speaking, I'm just like ecstatic. I, where do I go? What do I do? What stage? I was all over it. And I just attacked all of the competitions that were available within the Toastmaster organization, which is a lot. They're, they have plenty of opportunity in all different types. And in that journey of me simply competing, because that was a desire of something I wanted to do, I discovered pathways that I had no idea were open to me. And that for me is that that's the beauty. That's the power of the action of moving forward, of just deciding to do something because you want to do it and having a result come to you completely unexpected, possible in thought perhaps, but just an opening of an avenue that you decide, yes, okay, I am walking down this. Thank you for the opportunity for opening it up. Yeah. Now, interestingly that you mentioned Pathways because that is the system that Toastmasters now uses for helping people to progress. So I'm sure it was, was a happy accident, uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I'm on the pathway system myself and, and I've been doing the coaching pathway. I forget exactly what it's called, like uh, supercalifragilisticcoaching or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> but next, uh, I, I'm on my last project for that, on level five on my last project. So once that is done, I fully intend to start a new pathway. And my next pathway is going to be um, humorous speaking because that's... Yes something that I really want to focus on and I enjoy doing it. There's, uh, for me, there's one of, the, one of the best things about being up on the stage is getting your audience laughing and enjoying themselves whilst you're up there speaking. And uh, I like being held responsible for people's laughter. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> but you, but you do too, right? You, you like making people laugh too, right? I do. And that's the funny thing. So my whole life I've been accused of being too much is always a lot. And I've always had to realize that and simmer myself down somewhat sometimes, but I've just heard that a lot. And I've always been me. I've never been afraid to express my opinions or my individuality or anything like that. But it never occurred to me that I was funny. Like, you know, I was just me and there was a lot and I just went forth in life. And it wasn't until I was in Toastmasters and I started doing speeches and, and competing where you have to come up with a speech. 
And one of the tenets, one of the core tenets of public speaking, specifically in a Toastmaster competition, is laughs. You have to count your laughs. Oh, you didn't have 25 laughs. You're not going to win. Like, this is a big deal about having enough laughs. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking, oh, I guess I should infuse more of me into my speeches. And in doing that, I saw the reaction of the crowd. Like, people laughed at me. People enjoyed my humor. People saw my off-kilter speaking topics and the way I would present as humorous, as enjoyable and memorable. And then the feedback that I got from people who have, and I'm going to say qualified opinions, because everyone has an opinion, but then there are people who have qualified opinions that are people who you should listen to perhaps a little stronger. An important distinction, yes. (laughs) Yes. And I had two people come up and tell me separately within two weeks that I'm funny, that I am indeed a comedian. And it was, it was life-changing for me because it never occurred to me. I would never have been that brazen in all of my chutzpah in life. I would never have been that brazen to have called myself a comedian. It just seemed not me. Mm-hmm. But then I decided to listen to the qualified opinions. I decided to listen to two people who told me the same thing. I could have ignored it, but I chose to listen. Well, I'm, I'm glad you did. And, you know, uh, no one's ever accused me of being a comedian yet. So I'm, I'm still hoping for that one. But, uh, <laughs> but certainly you know, the, the laugh response I sometimes get seems to fit in with the points where I hope people will laugh. So I, I generally go with the assumption that they are laughing with me uh, <laughs> rather than at me. Uh, but uh, again, it remains to be seen. But it, there's nothing quite like it. But when you're giving a presentation like that, Toastmasters does many things and it doesn't necessarily give you the tools for humor. It really just kind of gives you the um, the platform to be able to get comfortable with trying these things out and and being more of yourself on, mm-hmm. on the platform as well. Like not everybody who gets up on the stage needs to be rip-roaringly rip funny, but it's certainly going to help in terms of engagement with your audience if you can at least have a bit of lightness and humor in, in you, what you do, what you say, or your approach to things that uh, might even be just a, a very corny or cheesy joke that might get a few laughs, but um, gets people engaged because data-heavy presentations, for starters, or, or deeply sad or depressing presentations, and I've seen those as well, um, whilst they can be interesting, it's like it doesn't really leave you where you really want to leave your audience. And so humor and lightness allows people to explore sometimes deep and not necessarily dark topics, but sometimes deep or more serious topics in a way that is much more accessible and engaging, I think. Yeah. And and that's your responsibility as a speaker is to understand that you're holding the audience in your hands and it's your responsibility to take care of them. Sure, you want to inform and you want to educate and hopefully entertain, but it's your responsibility to understand that you're taking them on a ride. And if you're going to bring them down low because of the sadness or depth of your story, you have to temper that because your audience can be so invested in you and what you're saying 
and so empathetic to what you're trying to convey that that can turn them off. It's scary to feel that much. Yeah. And your audience can turn against you. And that's why pairing it with humor to have that roller coaster, that up and down, allows people to exhale and come back in. Because when you're being too intense, they draw away. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for me, when I, when I first joined Toastmasters, like I'd attended a few different ones in the UK, but never joined. And then when I actually joined here and started preparing speeches, I already thought I was pretty, pretty much you know, the bee's knees and <laughs> was going to be pretty good at this. And, um, you know, having attended a few times and done table topics and, and won best table topics for the times I'd gone as a guest, I don't think it, I was feeling pretty confident. But then when it actually came time to, <laughs> came time to creating the, my first speech and the, the first hurdle I hit was that I had never before had to edit myself down to being able to give a speech in five to seven minutes. And that has been one of the most challenging things for me and and something I've gotten better and better at, but has been really valuable as well, because you start to realize just how much people ramble on about all sorts of stuff and not get straight to the point. It's like, well, you got five minutes, five to seven minutes generally to give your presentation, unless you're doing something a bit more keynote in Toastmasters, then you have to get straight down to it. There is some room for play and fun, but there's not room to to have too much meandering or explanation of, of what's going on. You really have to cut a lot of stuff out and get the heart of what your presentation needs to be. And that's, I think, the goal of all speakers within Toastmasters. Of course, to overcome that fear of public speaking and standing up in front of people and having your heartbeat. But the goal of understanding how to convey your ideas, your thoughts, your comments succinctly upon a theme without meandering all over the place, and expressing what it is you want to say beautifully without losing the person. Because you can talk and people nod, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, sure, uh uh-huh, following you. And they're not following you because it is incredibly difficult to listen and have things penetrate. It's, It's hard. And you learn through Toastmasters, through practice, through repetition, through failing, because you did it wrong, you learn how to do it properly. And you learn if you're going to talk about a thing, you can't have more than three things because it's too much. And if you're going to talk about those three things, repeat them, push the theme. I don't care if it's not on stage. If you're just talking to somebody, you're going to lose them if you just keep rambling. So the ability to in your head quickly and efficiently come up with the idea of how to convey your thoughts is so powerfully important and Toastmasters helps you do that. And if you're going to do humor, especially if you're going to actually do comedy specifically, that is essential. It is huge because when you do humor, I always tell people in my club, they'll ask me, Dia, how do I make this funny? How do I put funny in this? And I'm like, I don't know why you're asking me. I know what's funny for me. You just need to go up and, and try stuff and we'll tell you what's, what's funny for you. But one of the key tenets is when you're doing humor, I always tell people like cut out like at least a third of your content because humor isn't about rushing through to convey everything you want to convey. 
Humor is how you convey it and the pause in the reaction after you say it. Right. The, the whole principle of, uh, of being able to give people space to have the response and uh, the thought that like sometimes they might be finishing a sentence or making a mental connection from what you've just delivered that's going to deliver the laugh. And if you don't give the space for that, then you're then you're treading on your own uh, audience participation. You're treading on the laughter, which is a cardinal sin for comedians, I'm sure. Oh, my God. Yeah, where it's like, they're laughing. What are you doing? Stop. And it's hard to have confidence in holding for the pause. It's a very intimidating thought because you're asserting that you're funny. Yeah. You're, you know what you said should create a reaction, so you're going to wait for it with confidence. So having, <laughs> having had some people come and tell, tell you that you were funny after some of your presentations or competition speeches, where, where has that led you? What journey has that taken you on? When I first started in Toastmasters, I'm, I'm an actor. That was my thing. Like, I want to start getting back into acting and I need to exercise that muscle of just getting up and performing. And Toastmasters hit that. And I decided with, in doing this that I'm trying to discover who I am, what's my voice, what's my message. I needed to coach because it's, it's, that's a hard mission. I, it's really difficult when people say, tell us who you are. It's like, I don't know, haven't figured it out yet. So I hired a coach to help me. And within like 90 seconds of talking, he was like, you're a comedian. Okay. And he's like, we are going to start you doing stand-up. Like comedy? <laughs> and he was like, it's just, just let it go. He said, it's not, it's going to be what it's going to be for you. So we're going to focus on storytelling. So comedic storytelling, not that kind of like tell a joke, get a laugh, tell a joke, get a laugh. He said, well, we'll find your own style. And never, never in my life ever had I ever thought standing up on a stage and doing stand-up comedy would be the thing I would want to pursue. And he's telling me this and I'm letting it sink in. And then I do a competition and I win this uh, competition, which is a quote, uh, effective feedback competition where I give impromptu feedback to a speech. And it just so happened that one of our world champions of public speaking, Darren LaCroix was in the audience and he comes up to me and he's like, you have it. You've got it. You're funny. Pursue it. And he, then he told me I reminded him of Gilda Radner. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a huge compliment. I know. I was like, <laughs> if anyone's watching this and thinking he's Gilda Radner, you must Google Google her, look her up. She she was absolutely incredible, and that is a huge compliment. Um, Darren is great. Darren hopefully has agreed to come on the show in the future as a as a guest as well. So I'm looking forward to to having him on at some point as well. And and again, it's worth watching his his winning speech. I think it was 2011 that he won the world championship. If I could be misremembering that, but I think that's the year he it's won. It's got a one in it. It's either 2001 or 2011. Yeah, yeah. 2001 was the year of 9/11, wasn't it? So, uh, um, so I don't think it was that year, but uh, I could be. I could be completely wrong. Anyway, regardless of that, find Darren's uh, 
winning Toastmaster speech is pretty funny. I think it's called Oops. I think it's called Oops or something like that. I, do you know what? I, I should remember that, but I but I don't. I just uh, even though I've analysed it because I've done some courses and training with Darren, um, uh, I can't remember the name of it. But uh, but definitely, it's a, it's a it's a funny it's a funny talk. Like Darren is a stand up comedian as well as a presenter, and uh, and and definitely it makes a big impact in terms of his delivery and how he's able to deliver a talk and presentation. And uh, and so you 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 brought a lot of that into into what you do now as well. So you're actually going out performing comedy routines now, yeah? Filming the routines is that? I'm sorry. Performing. performing. Oh, performing. Yeah. So well, before COVID, I would go out and perform a, a part of a show, and it's so interesting because it it really is about finding your voice finding your message, finding your delivery. And it's really about feeling comfortable in failure. That's stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy is knowing you're probably not doing that well. You're going to hope for a laugh or two and realize that when you're done, the next time you do it, you'll probably want to retool everything you did. So it's this, it's this insane exercise of accepting that failure is progress and learning what didn't hit and why it didn't hit. And that's the awakening part. That's the stuff. Having my coach, Ron, helping me with the stand-up comedy, the things he would tell me in his feedback were, were mind-blowing and helped me redefine how I see myself and how I present myself. It just in life, not just on, on stage. Yeah. Guests or listeners will will realize what a small world or circle we're in when I say we have. Re- I've recently recorded a show with with Ron and uh, and it, and it was uh, I think it was either through Ron or it was through you know I think it was through Denise who introduced uh, me to you and to to Ron and so uh, again he he's a great guy we we chatted for a long time uh, I think we actually he's did... a he's a he's a really great guy he is he's I so funny. He, we ended up, I think, recording close to three hours. It was like, we have to finish this up because otherwise I'm going to actually wet myself in my seat. I, I have to go to the toilet and enjoying the conversation. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, have, we'll have coaching sessions and it'll be like, Ron, it's been an hour. What the hell did we talk? We, we have not touched my, me. <laughs> like we just yeah. go off on each other. But yeah, I know that I know that shows that show's gonna need a little bit of editing because we <laughs> we went off on some serious tangents, but there there was some really good stuff in there as well. Um but yeah, I mean a, a great coach and, and to help you get started for for your for what you're doing, for what you're performing when you're able to perform. Um what would your audience perhaps dis- decide is your style of comedy? What would they describe your style of comedy as? Oh, wow. Okay. So they would describe my style of comedy as racy, as self-effacing, and yeah, I guess, see, I don't know, you're putting me on the spot, I don't know, I don't know. It's all too much. Take a moment, take a breath, it's all good. <laughs> they think I'm funny, they think, and I'm, 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 I push buttons. I'm a button pusher, and I'm not afraid of racy topics and making the, and making the audience squirm a little. 
So when it comes to creating your material, I mean, where, where do you start? Where does the creative process start for you? I am an introvert, as I think many professional actors, comedians, public speakers are. We're introverts with the extroversion kind of factor. And as an introvert, I'm always in my head. And I'm always telling, retelling, thinking of jokes, not like jokes, but comedic things in my head, how to replay it, how to rephrase it. So I'm constantly, whether I'm trying to sleep, not sleeping, working, not working, I'm always in my head coming up with these really cool, I think, ideas. And if I'm lucky or motivated enough, I'll write them down. Then I can flesh them out later. And then I get really excited to put voice to those thoughts that were in my head to see anyone. <laughs> was, was that funny? No, huh. it's funny in my head. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's one of those interesting things in, in comedy of um, you, you don't really know what's funny until you get the reaction from your audience sometimes. And, uh, but also from conversations I've had with comedians, um, you might get a laugh or something you didn't get a laugh with one audience with another audience might find it funny. So it's, uh, it's tough. How, how do you gauge and how, what's the, what's your process for going through what you put into your acts, what ends up in your, uh, your type five or whatever. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the right? Well, I, I, I definitely believe in the power of three, right? So performing it three times, of course, trying to improve each time. But if it bombs, if it really bombs the first time, it's kind of like, that was probably not as funny outside as it was inside. But three, if, it, if you don't feel like it's targeting and getting a result after the third time, I would say that's my indication of set it aside and, and move forward. When I get positive feedback from my qualified opinions, my coach, Ron, and people in the audience as a reaction. And I consider those qualified opinions depending on the audience. Like, is it three people in the room? Am I really going to value the opinion of the laughs of three people in the room tonight? I'm going to have to be working really hard to get the laughs, but I don't know that I could qualify that as valid. So it's really about you know, knowing your audience and pivoting and understanding, eh, I don't know that this is really going to give me proper feedback. It's going to give me practice, but I don't know about feedback. And as I do in Toastmasters, I'll bring some of my tamer sets in because, <laughs> you know, PG-13. I'll bring them in and I'll see if these people who know me, these people who are tired of laughing at me, will laugh at a new idea. And I'll just kind of test the waters there. Um, but, but honestly, I really rely on Ron's feedback, my coach. And I really keep trying to train me into understanding what's hitting and why. Like Ron told me in the beginning, he's like, stop being angry. He's like, you're so open and, and happy and people want to listen to you. Don't be angry. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not angry. And then he made me watch a video back and I was like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> I hear you. Huh. Huh. Okay. So I'm trying to tune myself in more to understand and fight for the skits, the pieces that I think are effective. Like I have a couple that I think are really effective and a couple of them that I've butt- butted heads with Ron. I'm like, no, you're wrong. This is a really good thing. You watch, I'm going to develop it better, but this is really good. Yeah. And, and do you, do you normally, does your gut instinct normally turn out to be right or is it hard? You, know, you don't know until you deliver. Yeah. Well, so I, I've been trying really hard. No, I don't know. I've been trying really hard to make this bit with a mustache funny, like a real mustache. On, on yourself? On myself. Okay. And I've tried many different ways. It is and... nearly November. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, like... <laughs> it was originally from a speech. It was originally from a Toastmaster speech about body hair, pubic hair, right. all of that. And I thought it was effective for the speech. And I thought I should bring it into the comedy routine. And it ne- it hasn't hit. Like, I have not been able to open that little zipper crevice of why this is funny. Everything I try, it's like the laugh is me walking out in it. And then nothing I do after that is funny. (laughs) (laughs) So so I'm like, maybe I have to give that up. But then I do this thing uh, called the anosmic magic trick. That is a set I love. And I fight for that one with Ron. He's like, is that really that funny? And I'm like, it is, I promise (laughs) you. And I'm right because every time I do it, it breaks down every barrier that your audience would have with you because it's an interactive piece. And everybody by the end of that piece is fully on my side and invested in me being funny. Yeah. So this is probably a good time to explain to our audience uh, what a congenital anosmic actually is. Excellent. Excellent segue. Yes. I am a congenital anosmic. Congenital meaning born with. Anosmic means without the ability to smell. So I was born without the ability to smell, which is unusual. Less than 1% of the world's population are like me. With COVID, we're getting more acquired anosmics, people whose symptoms are the fact that they've lost the ability to smell and taste because of the virus and it comes back slowly for some, some not all the way. So that's a different type of anosmia. Mine is just my nose so I can taste. And it's this really weird thing about me that I didn't invest much thought into. But when you go down the avenue of trying to define who you are What's your brand? Why somebody should care about what you have to say? What's your message? It occurred to me that this weird thing about me is a really cool idea to start defining my brand on to get people to recognize who I am. And I get to put out in the world, I get to educate while I'm entertaining and raise awareness for anosmics, anosmics and anosmia worldwide. It's a fairly unique thing. What what would then be the name for people who just don't realize that they smell? <laughs> Men. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> Although I, I fall into that category because I can't smell myself. I don't care. 
I mean, I know how to stay clean, but I'll definitely uh, put myself in that category of like, you should shower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was people start backing away with their handbags over their faces, kind of thing. Yeah, it's like, oh, is this is that bad? <laughs> uh, probably a good indication. But I mean, for in, in terms of, uh, I guess people who who've never had that, I mean, as you said, maybe more people now with as that's been some of the symptoms for people with COVID are having an experience of that now. I don't know if that's something that's that is that stays with them or if it's just temporary but uh, but certainly they're getting a sense of uh, or a lack of sense of what that experience has been like for you but uh, do you I mean has it had a particular impact on your life in ways that might make your experience quite different to other people's? That's a, a very interesting thought process on that because I know nothing other than my reality. And my disability, my inability to smell has only impacted me in ways that could kill me. <laughs> so, right, like you might not smell gas or something like that. You mean, no. Right. Like I've almost burnt my house down five times. Right. Cause you wouldn't smell the smoke. and Right. I mean, but other than almost dying because of my disability for various reasons, it's, my experience in life has been completely equal and not at a loss comparatively to anyone who has a sense of smell. It's the people who lose it, whose lives are really affected. They have a really, really hard time. I would imagine if you were, if you became blind after having sight, right, then you've experienced a loss. I don't have a loss. For me, it's just a cool superpower or supervillain power, depending on... <laughs> is, that, is that like no, like no sense of taste as well? I mean, the smell and taste are kind of the same thing, right? Well, only for people like you, you can smell and taste. And if you lost your sense of smell, your sense of taste is going to go with it because you right. don't know how to perceive them separately. Yeah. For most congenital anosmics, we have completely isolated and separate. So I taste fully. The way I describe it is imagine a box of crayons, right? The way you taste is like the box of 95 Crayola crayons with the sharpener in the back. You got that whole pack that you can use to describe taste. For me, it's like the off-brand pack of 12. It's the same. It's just different. Right. So, I mean, uh, you know, in, in relationships, a game of Dutch ovens isn't good. You're always going to be the winner, really, aren't you? So, Yeah. Last. Oh, this is this. This is funny. You'll enjoy. So last night I ate something that did not agree with me. And my daughter was like, oh, my God, the house smells horrifying. And she asked me to turn the attic fan on. And she's like, I think you're getting sick. She says your farts smell so bad. I think you're getting sick. I was like, no, I, I just ate dairy. <laughs> so it's not, it's not death. It's just dairy. Yeah. Well, how, how did you then go about turning this into a comedic routine? What, what does, give, give us a taster of, of what your anosmic comedy routine is like. So the, the big hit, the big hit of the anosmic comedy scene is the anosmic magic trick. When I, I explain to the audience that I have this really cool thing called congenital anosmia, I can't smell, 
And I immediately, when I tell people, I get inundated with questions. And then I reference Johnny Carson. Remember Johnny Carson, American talk show yeah, host? Yeah, I, I know the name and, and I've seen old footage, but yeah, it's, uh, it's not very popular old school talk show host. And he would do this bit uh, called uh, with a character called Karnak, Karnak the magician. And he'd put on a turban and he would give you the question. He would have the audience say an answer, somebody say an answer, and then in a sealed envelope was the question. So my routine is a la Johnny Carson's Karnak, because when I tell people that I am anosmic, I hold up an envelope, three envelopes with three responses in them. And I say, I've already answered your questions. Who's got the first question for me? And they ask me the question. I open envelope one and read them the answer, et cetera. And for whatever reason, I hit it every time because I have magic powers, I guess. It's my magic trick. But it is, it's a really fun reaction from the audience to hear the sealed answers to their random questions. So you, you have got, haven't got your own like variations on the my dog has no nose joke or anything like that? <laughs> <laughs> really it's all it's and then it just goes raunchy from there right it's just all about if you can't smell what are the things you can get away with well a lot yeah gosh yeah my brain hadn't gone there yet but uh yeah now it has okay yeah yeah and it gets i mean like i said it gets really blue right it gets really raunch it, it can people have to be like okay that's probably too much is it though <laughs> Let's have three audiences' reactions. See if it really is too much. <laughs> so only only one way to find out, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because it gets it can get really bad, and it's yeah, like, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, you'll find a stick bag behind the safety instruction manual in the seat pocket in front of you. Um, <laughs> not not suitable for a Toastmasters meeting. F Y I. No, no, no. It's m maybe not quite motivational enough for a Toastmasters. <laughs> Uh, kind of speech or presentation but certainly a lot of fun and uh you know probably a probably a great night for toastmasters but that's probably one to have in a pub where uh, yes there have to be cocktails and low lighting <laughs> I, I think that would make would make all the difference for that but that's great i mean recently i did uh, a recording with uh, a lady who um uh, railing uh, who is this um she does stand up and she um, she kind of got into that through selling sex toys, which seems most of them. But she was doing these parties for um, selling sex toys, and she was. Um, it, it was a great fun episode. It's uh, as the time when we're speaking is not published yet, but by the time our episode goes out, it will be. And um, she said that she was making people laugh so much in those talks there's you know well you know i love making people laugh let's see if we can take that to the stage and so she's getting to educate people about some of the sex stuff that she would talk about ex before exclusively with women in those parties but now with couples and uh and saying that it actually has given her an opportunity to, to help educate people and educate couples and hopefully help them improve their sex lives as well um, whilst they're laughing is like the laughter is actually opening up the ability to talk about some of these things that uh, maybe are a bit difficult for people to talk about in their relationships and that, that was uh, 
for me, that was really fascinating. I think it's great, it's great what she's doing. She's she's very funny as well. But, um, that's yeah. that's so funny, John. That's so tangent. That's so tangential because I used to manage independent video stores, and part of each independent video store was a porn section, uh-huh. and I was in charge of buying, screening, cleaning, and promoting all the videos in the porn section. And I have very humorous stories as well about the taboo subject of porn and people wanting to, this is of course before the internet where you had to go into the store and rent <laughs> and or buy the. The first question that comes into my head may not be the one that you're expecting, but what is the funniest name for a porn film that you've ever encountered then? Oh, well, oh God. <laughs> How can I say stuff on this? Yeah. Um, hmm. I was a really big fan for a long time of Shemale Ass Masters. I thought that was pretty good. Uh-huh. But my, my favorite that just touched my heart so much because I also am a projectionist. So I worked in film in independent movie theaters as well. And one of my favorite movies is Edward Scissorhands. And about the time I was in the porn industry, we had Edward penis hands. Well, of course. <laughs> and, and of course I had to watch it and it was like valid. <laughs> and it's him with squirting <laughs> penis fingers. Yeah, but you know, no, no one's getting a haircut with, uh, with those. So. <laughs> oh, oh, see, I can't smell, so I don't get smell memories. But I get visual memories, and now I'm like in the film. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I haven't seen it, and 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 I never will. But uh, but there there are definitely some uh, some some fun uh, fun titles to those kind of films. So sometimes I'm I'm quite surprised by the ingenuity that uh, that people have come up with uh, for for those sorts of titles in the past, and some of them are just plain disgusting but you know it's uh, one thing or, that, or some of them are just exactly what it is and that's fine uh, but and then yeah. having to say them out loud to people we're like what would you recommend always guys what would you recommend <laughs> mm. do, do which do you like wicked or vivid oh which ones right and you're just like and you have to say them well i think the pov on this one is way more interesting <laughs> Than just the the fake I thing on that one. Whip me harder, Daddy, Volume Three. <laughs> and then because you're so open, and I'm sure your comedian, that a woman that you interviewed, would have the same uh, experience. Because you're so open and calm about talking about taboo subjects, and we're just having a conversation about penises and videos. They then kind of men, not women, men will take it as an open door. Right. So the propositions I have received as I'm casually chatting about porn from customers have been insane. Just so inappropriate and so insane just because you're there. Hi. Yes. Mm-hmm. Lots of penises in this one. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that I'm sure if, if it hasn't already been done, there, there is a whole comedy routine and beyond about the many different ways that men will see uh, opening for for potential sex and try and exploit it. Yeah, I was I was seven months pregnant, seven months pregnant, like, ooh, here's the porn. 
And the guy's asking me if I'm a swinger. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm pregnant. And he's like. <laughs> you, you never know what's going to do it for people, really, do you? So, so, I mean, that's given you some stories for sure. And, and you say that you, your whole comedy style is kind of a storyteller style. So, so you know, coming back to your comedic process or how you create your content do you, do you kind of just sit down and start writing the stories or do you like have a journal that you refer back to and think okay let's work on this one and uh, how, how do you go about that i have tried journaling it i've tried sitting down to write it and without a doubt the most effective ones for me that hit the best are ones that I have originated in my Toastmasters club during table topics or a speech or that I've just come up with the idea and haven't really done a lot of stuff to it. Yeah. It's just stuff that I have on the spot trusted myself to say, seen a reaction and said, oh, I think this is something. But every time I try coming up with an idea and writing it down, fleshing it out, like Ron would have me do that, or taking the journal of writing down ideas. It was almost like that was the harder work. And and not saying it shouldn't be hard. It should be hard. It is work. Yeah. But the, the clarity of my voice, of who I'm trying to be, the humor in the story that I'm trying to tell, if it just naturally bubbles up in giving a table topic, one to two minute, extemporaneous speech, then I kind of see the validity of my voice in it and use that as a reason to develop it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe you work better with the more improvisational style of coming up with stuff like you, you work better like in the, in the heat of the moment kind of thing. I absolutely do. And I have a long history of impromptu public speaking theater. And I feel quite comfortable with that. It's my challenge is meshing the improv with that structured story that you've created, called, written, produced, whatever. And it's trying to get that produced story to equal the delivery and the genuine humor of Mm. the impromptu story. And that for me is the challenge. So I tend to go more, well, this one's, this one I hit more with, so I'll go there. Did, did you find that that was like naturally the case for you or did it just end up like you were doing a lot of improv and you, you got better at it because you were doing it more often? Well, everything gets better when you do it more. I, I like to use Robin Williams and whose line is it anyway as my examples of talking about improv. Because when people say, oh, you're really good at improv, I I always like to hit back with, you know, it's not improv, right? You know, it's rehearsed. It's years and hours and months and sweat and blood and practice of learning what hits, of learning the tone of a response. So when you would see Robin Williams just going off, he is brilliant and he could go off and he could do all this impromptu, but it's not because he didn't 
practice and it's not because he hadn't experimented. When you watch all the episodes of Whose Line Is It Anyway and you see all the comedians in their improv skits, you see their patterns. You see that they've recognized and worked on responses and shticks and characters and how those accents and people respond within any given situation. So they've got this catalog that they can pull from. That's improv. Yeah. is being able to pull from your practiced catalog and throwing it out randomly. That's improv. And, and so, I mean, that, that's, that's a really important thing to, to bring up because people, I think, do have this idea in their heads of that people are just completely coming up with this stuff on the spot. And it's like, like you say, you know, it's like this whole reference catalog in their, in their minds in their experience, stuff they've tried out before, or maybe just a few, something may suddenly connect in the moment, but it's, it's not going to be completely new. It's going to come from what's been done before. Like, you know, the, the best way to be a greater improv is to rehearse. Oh my God. And fail hard. I always express this. I, I repeat this a lot. Fail hard, go big, learn what your boundaries are odds are you're not going to hit it because you can't, it's really hard to go that big. It's not that hard to fail. It's That's one cool. Of the, one of the most interesting perhaps differences I've seen in, um, in public speaking trainings in the U S to doing them in the UK and, and British people do generally live up to that very well-deserved reputation of being very reserved mm-hmm. and, and holding themselves back. And when I've done these kinds of trainings in the U.S., quite the opposite. More and more people, no, I'm not saying there aren't people who aren't reserved. Certainly there are introverts who take a little longer to get warmed up. But for the most part, people just go for it a lot more and really uh, don't hold back and uh, have more of a willingness to fail in those kinds of situations. So it's interesting that that culturally uh, in the US, maybe a bit bit better at being able to go and do those things, whereas in in the UK, you're supposed to to be polite and reserved and we have to get past all of that, all of that sort of... uh, cultural personality problems before we can get to um, just really letting loose and going at it. And even then, you know, I see um, uh, speakers who I work with in in the UK often, uh, not not to criticize all of them, but certainly a a large amount of them still are feeling very reserved and self-conscious. And and one of the hardest things to work with them is getting over this self-consciousness and getting out of their heads, being there for their audience and not being in there thinking, what are they thinking about me? Do they like me? Am I saying the right thing? And all that kind of stuff. Uh, It it seems to generally be a longer process because we have to get past um, all all this sort of um, conditioned um, cultural personality stuff. But you guys have like Benny Hill and Monty Python. I mean... (laughs) Um, that's a very, those are very specific kinds of humor. And I'm not saying that they don't have great value, um, but uh, they are very specific kinds of humor. And again, uh, not everyone, not everyone is willing to do those. And um, you know, Monty Python, certainly very much in the absurd humor category a, a wonderful wonderful stuff but but even then in some ways you could you can apply a certain level of reserve to it although they went to a lot of interesting places it was a lot of it is quite intellectually absurd comedy 
uh, and very, very cleverly thought out. So it wasn't necessarily rip roaringly going for going for improvisation, but to get people to this thing of just just going for it and trying stuff and as you say, failing hard. It can take a while. It can take a while for for those of us who are uh, like <laughs> much like myself who uh, who need a bit of warming up to to just get to that point. Like now, I can I can just do it. I can go for it because I have the the experience, I have the conditioning, and I'm not in my head thinking, yeah, but everyone's going to think I'm a fool. Everyone's going, uh, I'm going to think I'm an idiot. What would my mum say? <laughs> Those kinds of things that, uh, that I can get. Uh, I'm already past that. But uh, but it's interesting that the, that experience and actually running the trainings of how much more willing generally I find in, in the US people are to go for it. I'd say here, here in Spain as well, there's a uh, in Toastmasters, I see there's a very strong, and this might be internationally, but there's a very strong desire to appear to be very professional in what you're presenting. So again, a bit of the silliness and humor stuff maybe is uh, is avoided a lot of the time because. Well, of- I'm going to say that's the club culture, yeah. okay? And every club has its own culture. There's definitely more corporate, more business oriented clubs. Clubs like mine are way looser. We follow the tenants, we give the help and do all the Toastmasters stuff, but we chill down on the proper factor because that is just adding another level of fear and anxiety to public speaking is, is having to do it zipped up and corporate. And I, I think the value in finding a club that fits your mission. Do you need a business corporate club or do you want a club that's going to teach you to just be more comfortable, more confident and finding your voice. And I have gone to the corporate clubs and I stick out like, they're like, Oh God, here's Dia. What, what is she going to say? Oh my God. Don't let her run table topics for God's sake. <laughs> Go all over the place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, I do. I do feel that a lot of business talks could really do with uh, a big injection of uh, of, of humour and personality. Uh, I'll call it personality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's a, that's a good way to look at it. But yeah, it's, it's interesting that there are there are cultural differences in these things. But um, in terms of been diverging down a bit of a path here, but. Um, in terms of when it comes to improvisation, undoubtedly, you just have to get into the habit of doing it. And the more you do it, like some people are definitely going to find it easier than other people. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And I do think perhaps more naturally extroverted people, although as you say, many public speakers are introverts, but more naturally extroverted people are that bit more willing to, to go for it and just do that stuff. And so, yeah, I don't really care what you think of me. It's all good. Uh, we're just going to have some fun here and see what, see what lands that we ideally want to get ourselves into that kind of space because it's only when you're willing to get out there and say, look, you're just going to do whatever works. And if I look like an idiot whilst I'm doing it, so be it. Um, but uh, it, that, that kind of attitude is going to give you the flexibility to go where you need to go to, to get the laughs or to get the emotional range and responses that you want to get laughter or otherwise, that you have to have a huge degree of flexibility to be able to shift between these different things. If it's all too much around the same tone, it's going to be pretty dry. Boring. Yeah. 
<laughs> and people aren't going to get your message. And the whole point, the whole why of why you got up there to express the idea lost because you weren't able to effectively convey it. Yeah. I, 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 one of the, one of the most valuable elements of going to something like Toastmasters is being able to get feedback on, on, on what you do, because when you do uh, professional presentations, when you do public speaking in, in other environments, unless unless you get someone who really likes to give feedback that's been unsolicited you're, you're not really going to get that much feedback from people um but in, in toastmasters kinds of environments um people will come and give you feedback because they know you want it and uh, and also you have someone who's specifically allocated if you're doing a prepared speech someone who's uh, prepared and hopefully has been briefed beforehand as to what you what you're specifically focusing on and delivering that you get feedback that's hopefully going to help you specifically improve and show you, like be that mirror for yourself to show you, uh, here's where you can actually use a bit of work. This this bit worked really well. This bit didn't work so well. So there's, there's room for improvement here, but there's some bits that were really sort of shining out for you. We all need that. Uh, and uh, I think that's really, really, really valuable, whether that's with a coach or with uh, a Toastmasters club. But uh, all, Or with your own camera. Because that's really scary feedback. Sure. I mean, I, I often get asked by people, when I, when I tell people I do public speaking training and presentation skills training, uh, I will often get asked the question, uh, it must be one of the most commonly asked questions I'm sure in this area, but um, should, I, should I practice in front of a mirror? <laughs> no, never. Never practice your speech in front of a mirror because you are never... I can't really imagine, but you, really you're never going to deliver your speech in front of a mirror. And so whilst you might be in situations where you can see yourself on a monitor from stage in certain environments, more often than not, really what you're going to see is an audience, maybe a small group of people, maybe a large group of people, or maybe a camera, depending on, on what your environment is. But you're not going to see a mirror. So don't practice your speech, looking at yourself, look at yourself afterwards on camera. That's the best way to see yourself when you're presenting. Um, but yeah, even then, even watching yourself back, you don't always see, um, you still see it from your perspective. You don't always get the uh, some of the distinctions that other people are going to see, right? Yeah, and that's why that feedback is so important. Like I was saying how Ron told me, you're coming off angry. And I'm like, I don't see it. I, don't, I, I believe you, but I don't see it. And then in watching the video after hearing the feedback, then all of a sudden it's like the curtains are drawn, right? And you see the light and you're like, how did I not notice that? And it's that dual process of hearing it and seeing it that for me makes the clarity and helps me then grow and change. I mean, it can be as simple as realizing that your resting hand posture is, you know, like T-Rex hands and you're like, huh, this is how I gesture. Right. And it's like, I had no idea, but now I see it and I will never do that again. I've seen worse. But it's, it's that it's, it's a constant flow of, of information and you are only going to see what's in your reality. Yeah. And that's why the feedback opens you up to other people's reality. So you get to say valid or not valid. Yeah. And and also giving feedback to other people um, also does actually help you to be able to see more of your own 
potential areas for development? Yeah, when I first started in Toastmasters, there were two roles I did not want to do. I did not want to run the meeting and be the Toastmaster. And I was petrified of doing feedback because I really held that responsibility. I really felt responsible. I took it really seriously to give someone really effective, meaningful feedback, but it's quick. It's impromptu. It's, you don't get a lot of time to think about what you want to say. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to lean into what I was afraid of to lean into the thing I didn't want to do because I figured that's where I needed the most development. So I, I leaned into giving feedback and I started in competitions giving feedback in the evaluation competitions. Because in doing that, I saw, as you said, how to improve myself based on how other people performed. I learned what makes effective speeches by going over and over and over and trying to find things to say. Oh, liked your vocal variety. Your your use of the stage was very nice. I liked your flow. You, you got to come up with things that are a little more worthy of saying. Yeah. And in doing that, in discovering my voice, in giving feedback, I was able to develop my speeches, my persona better because I had to follow the advice I was giving. I think giving, being able to give feedback is a really good quality to have in life in general. Uh, you know, generally you don't just want to be walking up to people and giving feedback like those shoes, that coat. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, for, in, in certain situations, it's a really valuable gift to be able to have, especially like in, in working environments, in, uh, in team environments. If you're doing, Raising children. Raising children, yeah, yeah. Being, being able to give feedback in a way that isn't just putting someone down. Because you know a lot, a lot of people will will refer to feedback as you know, the standard um, shit sandwich they call it, right? You know, right. Here's one good thing. Here's the really bad thing, and here's one good thing. And it's like, well, yeah, that that's not really uh, not really the ideal way. There are better ways of giving feedback, and uh, and yet even in the corporate world, you know, the the shit sandwich is still the general form of. Here's, here's your healthy stack for the afternoon, um, your performance review, this is what you get. Whereas, you know, when you're learning more effective feedback techniques, you're, you're going to get things like, well, actually what you're really looking to do is give people feedback for what they have done really well and why, why it worked and why, why you found it effective and what maybe didn't hit or land so well for them or where there is a bit of room for improvement and what they could perhaps even do to help improve that for themselves and why they might want to. So it's not actually just saying, oh, well, actually, you were crap. So, it's, uh, you know, I, I can remember doing a speaker training years ago in the UK and, and, uh, and it was one where we were all getting feedback at the end of it. And one particular guy, like every bit of feedback he gave me was – um, I think he gave me about a 20 minute lecture of negative feedback from my presentation. And, uh, and someone said, someone said to me, why are you sitting there listening to him? It's like everything he's, everything he's saying about your presentation is, um, is negative. So I think my background is, uh, is going a bit weird here, but everything he's saying about your presentation is, is negative. So, um, why are you sitting there listening to it? Now, well, it's still feedback. It's still actually going to give me something that I can grow and develop from. So I'm going to listen to it. It's like, 
I don't, you know, he's not actually, he wasn't intending it as a, you know, I think you're really terrible at it. He was seeing things of, he's just a very what isn't right focused kind of person. That's where it was coming from. But, you know, I certainly saw even then, it isn't the best way. Like someone like me who was like, I'm not taking this personally, so it's okay, is all right. But many people would take it very personally and are going to shut themselves down to the feedback. And I think that's where people get stuck in that particular area. So having the skill of being able to give good feedback that's effective and actually lifts people up and finishes up with, here's what was fantastic about what you did. Here's what where you really excelled that that's how you should be finishing up your feedback with somebody. It shouldn't just be that, well, here's a good thing, here's a bad thing, here's a good thing, we're done. Right, yeah, because it can be so demoralizing. It can be soul-crushing when the whole purpose of feedback is to raise up and improve. So I don't want to chop you down and then raise you back up because that's that's a false sense of uh, doing better, right? It's like, oh, I can only make you feel good if I chop you down. And you said it perfectly, giving effective feedback is just critical. It's critical to growth and it's critical to put yourself in a position that's open to feedback because not everything we do is perfect and that's okay. So we need to sit in that space of knowing we need suggestions. We are open to ideas. And it's the fear because of being told, here's a shit sandwich. It's that fear that shuts people down. It's like, I don't want your feedback because it was mortifying enough doing the thing. I yep. don't want to rehash it. Well, that, that was, I think when I, when I actually first joined Toastmasters, that was the thing I was most concerned about was the feedback stuff. And and now, now like if, if I just get bland feedback, I'm actually going to feed back to my evaluator. Um, actually, you know, here's, here's the kind of feedback that I was really looking for here. Here's the thing about, uh, because bland feedback isn't going to help me or anyone else. People are, people are trying to be nice rather than actually give feedback that's going to help people grow. And it's like, okay, there's a difference between um, being nice or trying to be liked. And like, get, for me, being nice and giving good quality feedback is saying what I actually really need to hear. Whereas to you, being nice is uh, not saying anything that might upset you or that you could potentially take personally. It's like, uh, you know, we, we have to get into this. Like, you, we can't be too worried that people might get a bit upset. If they do, it really is just a sign that they've got something to work on. You're not, hopefully not delivering stuff in terms of putting anybody down. But if somebody is like not able to deal with getting a bit of feedback that says this wasn't maybe as good as you as you might have thought it was, or this is an area where uh, for me it didn't quite land, and here's why, that's a, that's actually a gift. It's not it's not an insult or a put down. It's a gift because it says. Okay, and, well, and here's the, here's the key. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I was here's say, the here's, key. Here's the key. Here, here's the key. This is what I've figured out in life in general with feedback. I keep my mouth shut until someone asks. In Toastmasters, they're asking. That's the whole point. You're there for the feedback. In life, I have to remember to put myself in the position of zipping it unless I'm asked. Because as with opinions or any feedback or anything in life, unless someone is open 
to hearing the answer, they're going to shut down. And the only way you know they're open is if they ask. And it can be really hard sometimes because you have really valid points and you really want to say something because you know it'd be helpful, but it's going to land on deaf ears because if they haven't opened themselves up to ask, to hear your opinion, it's irrelevant and it's just going to anger them and break them more. Yeah, and no, no. I, I, I think I used to do like a lot of personal development trainings, and I, I remember when I, I used to be training like neurolinguistic programming and things like that, and and people would come out of the trainings like, oh, I'm a neurolinguistic programmer now, uh, let's go and find somebody to do my magic on, uh, and then just grabbing the nearest person and like, do you have a problem? I'm going to coach you now, and it's like, okay, th- this does actually need to be a sort of I consent to this kind. Of situation that's what we need an i consent to to feedback shirt (laughs) this is something that i would like to have thank you very much rather than uh, i'm just going to inflict this on you whether you want it or not i think that's important because it's a power when you learn to give effective feedback and you know you give effective feedback that's a power and you have to use it for good yeah it, yeah really really important stuff so I, I i like that we got into this part of the conversation i don't think i've talked that much about feedback before in uh, in the shows and it's one, one of the really important reasons why you know you talked about working with a coach and i, I you know i worked with coaches for years as well and and i do coach with people why it can be so valuable to have a coach and someone who can see this stuff and help not just to help show you what could be better but also to really see what really is working and hitting for you and cheer you you want to be, be your big cheerleader for that and also say um but here's some things that you may, perhaps you're not seeing or here's where a direction that could be interesting for you to explore that gives you uh, new scopes and and um keeps you growing and developing i i think uh, again i maybe i've talked about this before on the show but one of my favorite shows um over the last several years has been uh, marvelous mrs mazel it's just uh absolutely fantastic show uh, is it rachel brosnan i think is the actress and she she's incredible she does that so well and uh, but you know it did kind of plant into my head this thing of um i'm getting up doing comedy and stuff well she just gets up there and kind of does it naturally just talking about her life and uh, i i don't think there's actually many comedians who just sort of get up on a stage and grab a microphone and start talking about their life without having plan these thoughts first before before they get there of course she's acting she's she's reading a script but it's but it's a wonderful show and and i think it does actually give a lot of value in terms of uh understanding the process of getting up onto a platform and and making people laugh and engaging an audience uh, you know and a a lot more besides it's just a, a really joyful show to watch in my in my opinion but um the I mean, I'm guessing you've seen the show. Yes, and I'm just loving that you, I don't think you did it on purpose, but I'm just loving the parallel of comparing how I best do my comedy with how Miss Mazel does hers. So I'm just like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. Um, You just call me Miss Mazel. All right. Well, you know, is uh, again Gilda Radner, Mrs. Maisel. You know, is uh, <laughs> why, why not just accept that you are destined to, to the Comedy Hall of Fame? You know, is uh... okay as long <laughs> as it comes with a check. Like, I just need a check. Somebody with like several, several, several zeros. Have to have to fund the dream, right? There, there must be a part for you in the next season that's coming up for that show. 
the lady with the purple hair. Who do I know? Right. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> like, like oh, they'll make me dye my hair. Ugh. Yeah. They're, they're, well, they've got wigs. It's Hollywood. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. They'll give me a Betty Page wig. I'll bring Betty Page in. I, I would love to see you on that show. I think you'd fit in very well. So, oh, thank uh, you. the lights who are watching, listening, uh, yeah, get get on it, please. Get on it. Let's make it happen. <laughs> yes. I would I would happily say yes for no paycheck. That's how happily. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful show. So if anyone's watching, you hasn't seen that. But also as well, you know, one of the things that I think has been a real theme for me through a lot of my shows is, uh, and, and that public speaking and humor really allows is is a greater platform for for women in general. So something that has been you know, things that are changing and, and really need to change like more women stepping up into leadership roles more people more women getting on stages and showing that they are funny and um, more people getting on stage and being inspirational in what has before been a, a majority uh, male dominated industry with you know, most of the well-known speakers and gurus in the personal development world nearly always being men that 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 balance is shifting and right so yeah it makes me infuriated when people start talking about public speaking and comedy and all these things that all they can keep putting up are examples of white men like it just it, it infuriates me t- to no end and when even when i was competing in toastmasters i got all the way to the big end of our district competition And I started in the interview, started talking about how women don't win in Toastmasters and and how abhorrent it is. And since 48 years, there had only been four women that have ever won. I think it, I mean, it was, it's ridiculous, the inequality of power and the shift that is happening. I, I am so thankful to be here now in this shift of women taking the stage, women having a voice, women having the power of being there, having a voice, but not just in the past where women have been there, but they've been perfect women. They've been dressed and quaffed and put together and there are these unobtainable visions of women. I'm loving that today the women that are coming up are real humans. They're not, well, I have to watch my weight. And they're not like, can you see my double chin? You know, they're, they're just like, hello, I'm me. I have value. I have a voice. I deserve to be heard. Uh, thank you for raising me up. Here's, here's what I'm going to do. And people are listening because I think I'm not the only one who's just tired of hearing white guys, old white guys, white, sorry, white guy, but lots of white guys, just too many freaking white guys. Like you don't reflect the voice of the country, of people who are interested in why are we trying to reflect you, right? Like let's just be empowered to reflect ourselves. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting shift. Hopefully, one that continues to grow despite uh, despite pushes for uh, to step back in time and go back to how it was before. Uh, there's all these people who seem to want to to go back to sort of the 1940s, 1950s uh, family setups. And uh, yeah, was- those were always those are only the people who would be benefited by that. 
Yeah, or people who just have this illusion that that was somehow better and don't understand how how difficult life actually was for people in those times and and how how unfair those uh, situations were and all the things we were missing out on because of that particular setup because of societal norms. It's uh, it's interesting. That I don't think society progresses or changes. Um, because it wants to or because of you know, any other agenda, then it needs to. We need to keep advancing. We need to keep growing and evolving and developing. And that is why we see these kinds of changes. They are part of an evolution, not part of uh, a, well, maybe you could call it a revolution, but it's not It's not revolting against what has been. It's, it's developing past what has been to something new, uh, to a different future. Ah, beautifully yeah. said. Beautifully said. Absolutely. <laughs> Evolution. That that's what it's all about. And and for, for all of us as individuals as well, you know, we all have we all have our own unique journey. Some of us are going to be funny speakers, some of us are going to be more educational or inspirational speakers. But hopefully we'll all we but we all have something to say. We all have uh the only the only difference is are you actually going to get up on a platform and say it or not? And and if we all have something to say, you're never gonna know what it is unless you start saying things. You'll never get to the thing you should be saying unless you just actively start saying stuff. That's yeah. how you get there. Absolutely. Dear, I, I think it's uh, time to start drawing our, our wonderful conversation to a close, but it's been a real joy speaking to you today. I'm just wondering for, for the audience, if people would like to find out a bit more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can watch all of my funny videos on my YouTube channel, Dia Klein. You can follow me on Instagram under my company name, S-Y-O-E-Z-J-O Life. S-Y-O Life. It's Hungarian for you good. It's Hungarian for you, you good. Like, yeah. are you good, do you mean? So if you're good, you say yo. S-Y-O, <laughs> yo. If you're not good, you say nem yo. Nem right. yo. My my lighting. I'm just going to try and fix my lighting for this. Uh, it's a, oh, is it a magic trick? Is it a podcasting magic trick? Yeah. <laughs> my my lighting has gone really weird, and I don't know if I can. Uh, I've lost the cable to my. Uh, just bear with me a second. Yeah. I like. It. I'm liking the effects. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, the strobing, and uh, that's what I was going for. Oh, it's it's after hours. We're turning into a dance club. It is, uh, it's because it's getting darker outside, like the sun has shifted over and uh, I should have put my, uh, my screen backlight on. That would have fixed it all in the first place, but uh, never mind. Never mind. That's a lesson learned for next time. Uh, I, I should have known. I'll edit this bit out. <laughs> so, so now that people know how to get hold of you, let, let me ask you this. If, um, if you are recommending someone uh, a book or a course or a, a, something to take action on from after listening to our conversation today, what would it be? I always, always, always talking about white men. Sorry. <laughs> I always recommend Dale Carnegie. How to win friends and influence people. It's valid, man. It's learning how to interact with other humans and learning how to hold a space of power and learning how to be a person who is a friend and having people like you. It's, it's hugely valuable. It still, it still is. I mean, almost a hundred years old. Definitely. And one of, one of my areas of 
expertise, I guess, or speciality, is the tools of influence and persuasion. And again, that's maybe a big reason we're talking about comedy because it's an important part of that. And um, that book, that particular book, is uh, How to Influence and Influence People, is a, is a masterclass in influence and persuasion on maybe on a more personal scale, but certainly it is a masterclass in that. And uh, and as you say, it's still very valid today. So uh, yeah, I think it's a great recommendation. And it's not complex, right? These are really easy ideas in which to frame how you you talk with and deal with other people and how you listen and interact. It's yeah, yeah. really and, uh, simple. Yeah, and in, in addition to that, another one of his books that is probably quite useful for people in these days is How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Still very relevant. And, uh, and in these times, potentially very important get both of those books i'm sure they'll be on some sort of amazon often together right or go to your library i support public libraries in america we have public libraries free books and in the uk i think most of them have been closed down unfortunately oh. there's not so many libraries left these days but if you have one absolutely go and make use of it they'll appreciate your support dear i've really enjoyed the conversation today i hope we can connect again in the future i think there's still more for us to talk about another time i hope but uh, for now let's wrap things up and leave a closing thought for our watchers and listeners today go big fail hard move forward and that's how you discover don't be afraid to go big don't be afraid to fail Excellent. It's been a really fun conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's uh, been a, a lot of laughs and I uh, can definitely see why you're in the comedy world. And I, I certainly hope you will end up in uh, Mrs. Maisel or maybe with your own show. Perhaps there's, perhaps, show. They, need, perhaps they need a spin-off. <laughs> <laughs> My own show. I'm the lead. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Let's think big. Right? Big, 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 big. <laughs> oh, John, this has been such a pleasure. I'm so glad we connected. Thank you so much for chatting with me and having this lovely conversation and promoting Toastmasters. Who knew? We certainly have promoted Toastmasters a lot today, haven't we? Uh, send us a check, please. Uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll be glad to do it. Although from a nonprofit organization. I yeah, good luck. <laughs> we might be waiting a long time. Here's a trophy. <laughs> or a pin uh, that'll do i'll take it dear thank you so much it's been a lot of fun thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening well, thank you dear klein and thank you for tuning in remember to like and subscribe and leave us a review whilst you're here why not go and grab yourself a free copy of the last minute presentation checklist available from presentinfluence.com if you'd like to get in contact with me and find out more about presentation skills, you can, of course, visit the website or email me, john at presentinfluence.com. My Twitter and Clubhouse handle is at John A. Ball, and you can find me on Facebook. In fact, you can join my Facebook group, Speaking of Influence. Come and find me there and get exclusive content only for members. Next week, you will be able to tune in to me speaking with Majid Magarabin, which was an incredible conversation, as well as comedian Tiernan Duyeb, who is going to be on next Friday. It's a double header next week, so don't miss an episode. Make sure you are subscribed. See you next time.